Welcome to Step Into the Story, incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. This is going to be a great conversation today with Jennifer Rothschild. And I know for some of you, Jennifer is a familiar name. Um, her her resume is exhaustive and exhausting. I can't imagine so many gifts being packed into one person. A singer, songwriter, gifted communicator, um, really prolific author, and more than anything else, just a Bible teacher who can connect the message of Scripture just in a deep way with people's lives. You know, every time we gather on Step Into the Story, we're exploring the intersection of our story and God's story. And I just can't imagine um, a a better guest for this particular podcast than Jennifer. Jennifer, welcome to Step Into the Story. Well, I am just so glad to be here, Phil. And you you may not know this, but I have my own Phil. So I feel like I'm surrounded by Phil today. And that's a good thing. I noticed (laughs) that. You and Phil have been married how long now? We have been married, uh, it will be 35 years this year, yeah. Wow, we got you by five. We just had our 40th in December, so um, you're heading into a great five years. If I could briefly mentor you from five years ahead, it's going to be so. This next phase of marriage is just outstanding. Um, Tell us about the rest of your family, Jennifer. Well, I am married to my, my own Phil. In fact, I call him my own doctor, Phil, because he's a professor. There so we have kind of lived the academic life. You know, our our calendar is kind of the school calendar every year for the last many. And so he's a professor of what's called entertainment management. He was a business professor, but it's entertainment management that he teaches here in Missouri at Missouri State University. And we have two sons who are grown up or practically grown up. Uh, our boys, they're both boys, and they were born 10 years apart. Wow. So... Yeah, you can imagine there were some seasons in our home that were just a little crazy because there was one season where we had a preschooler, a preteen, and I was premenopausal. It was just not good, <laughs> is all I'm saying. It was crazyville in our house. Anyway, so our oldest son is married to his high school sweetheart, and they have two little boys. So I'm enjoying that new phase of life. And then our youngest son, he is a senior in college this year, so he will be wow. graduating from college. And yeah, and then we've got a little dog just to complete the family portrait. We have a little dog named Lucy, and she's a Shih Tzu. And I'm just going to say she is the kind of dog that just, like, allows us to live in her house. You know what I'm talking about, yep. that kind of dog? Yep. Yep, that, that's who she is. So those are all all the people that, that I surround myself with that I love. Wow, a lot of parallels with our family. We have a dog named Chipper, and, um, you know, it's Chipper's world, and the rest of us are just visiting is kind of how, how it goes down yep. at our house. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is your, um, hey, what is your grandma name? I, there's no possible way a little kid goes Jennifer, or what's your oh, grandma gosh. name? No, I'm Gigi. I love it. There you yeah. go. There you go. My wife, Ellen, wanted to be Nanabelle. She's very Southern. And, you know, that's oh. just a few too many syllables. So it's it's morphed into Meeble. 
Um, we don't know what that means. And, uh, <laughs> but it's the best name ever, isn't it? It is. And I'm the, very, I'm the very simple pops. So there you, oh, there you that's, go. See, that's what my feel is. He's pops also. Oh, man, so I got to meet go. that guy sometime. I like I him know. already. <laughs> so we've talked about we've talked about your ministry and um you know it's largely focused on ministering to women which I'll tell you what I took a sneak at some of your things and um they're needed by guys every bit as much as they're needed by mm-hmm. women I'm not here to mm-hmm. redirect your your ministry or anything um <laughs> but uh we'll get into that conversation a little later but I've I've found when I meet people who are really having an impact um, for Jesus Christ, that a lot of times their passion has grown out of a lot of personal pain. And, you know, it's, it's popular, especially in the church in our culture, that, wow, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you're not ever going to struggle again. I mean, it, you're like Teflon-coated problems will come, but they don't stick and um, that's not been my experience, nor many people that I know. That's not the real story. Um, yeah. Tell us about your life, uh, especially, I mean, sketch out early years a little bit, but then mm-hmm. let's let's pick up your story, especially when you're 15 years old. Well, I grew up in a, in a pastor's home, so I was just surrounded by the things of God. It was just natural to me. Um, and, you know, of course, being a daughter of a pastor, I did every job possible at the church and was always there and involved. And quite honestly, though, I got to be honest, I loved the Lord. I did. I loved everything I understood about God. And I loved the Bible as much as I could understand and read. And I remember my, my grandmother gave me my first red leather Bible. Mm. And, uh, well, it took me till I was in my 20s to realize it actually wasn't leather. It was fake. But I still thought of it as my red leather Bible. And I would read it every night. I'd read the Psalms. And it just, I loved it. I loved God's Word. But when I was 15, I could no longer read those words in that red leather Bible. Um, I had begun to have difficulty as a 15-year-old girl with my eyesight. But it was so subtle at first that I barely noticed. I was, you know, starting to trip downstairs or I would run into people or like at dinner, I would knock over my water glass, small things like that. My math grades began to just become so poor. I mean, I wasn't good at math anyway, but this was exceptionally bad. <laughs> and once once we began to realize some of these things were happening, I just thought, I was clumsy or I was dumb or I just, I really thought something was wrong with me, but I never thought it was my eyes. Cause it was so but gradual was, that. Yeah. Just, just super subtle, super subtle. Um, but one night I was walking with my mom and we were walking upstairs to a friend's apartment and I was tripping up those stairs and my mom paused halfway up the stairs and asked me, Jennifer, can't you see those stairs? And, and Phil, I would just like, incredulous. I said, what do you mean, mom? You can? I literally thought I was just clumsy. Well, you know, that's all it took. I was at an eye doctor the next day and within a couple of weeks at an eye hospital. So I was diagnosed at an eye hospital in Miami, Florida, where we lived at the time with a disease called retinitis pigmentosa. And at that point, it had become so active. 
um, that I was declared legally blind, it just, it rapidly deteriorated a majority of my retina. And so that explained, of course, the difficulty I was having, but it also kind of gave a forecast to my future because the nature of the disease retinitis pigmentosa is that it's degenerative. So that same kind of loss and deterioration that had occurred already causing the legal blindness would continue to occur. Mm. The doctors couldn't say how many years it would take, but until the entirety, you know, the remainder of my retina was gone. So now here I am as you fast forward a few decades, I'm in my 50s, and I have lived now in physical darkness longer than I lived in physical light. Mm. So... You know, I don't know that I fully adjusted. I don't know that I ever fully will adjust. I've adjusted to the reality that this is what God has allowed. And I think that's why I am so um, dependent on God's word. You know, there's a passage in Psalm 119 that says, if it were not for your law, which is just another way of saying his, his word, if it were not for your law, I would have perished in my affliction. Mm. That right there is my story. I I know there's no way I can make it through blindness without God, without his word. There's just no way. Mm. Well, you pretty quickly jumped from 15 to your 50s. I want to go back to high school. Um, okay. I mean, just I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in that situation and all the things that made up my life in high school. I'm kind of going through this mental checklist of how many of those would just instantly be off the table and out of my schedule. Um, what did you, what were the losses that you immediately felt? Well, I remember driving home from that eye hospital. It was about a 45 minute drive. And I, I distinctly remember sitting in the back seat and feeling my fingertips and wondering, am I going to, am I going to have to read Braille someday? And that was one of the most, significant losses that that represented to me was because I loved art and I loved to draw and I loved to paint. And my thing was caricatures. I like to study people's faces and then, you know, exaggerate their features to communicate their personality. I loved lettering. And uh, that was what I wanted to do is be an artist of some sort, martial arts, cartooning. cartooning. Um, and I knew right then that was, that was gone. I remember the, the fears that, overwhelmed me like how am I going to finish high school because I couldn't see out of a textbook I couldn't read it off of a chalkboard and our boys going to want to date me and then you know if I really fast forward it was this because we're so good at future projecting who's going to want to marry me I'll be a burden how am I and and realizing I'm not going to be able to drive a car and that's you know that was the biggest thing on my bucket list at 15 was getting my license at 16 Cause that's like, you know, when you got wheels, you got wings, it was independent. Oh yeah. And I, that was gone. So yeah, the adjustments physically, of course, without being able to see those adjustments were difficult, but I think the more complex and greater adjustments were, and probably still are quite honestly, the emotional ones and the spiritual ones that, that go along with it. Um, yeah, it, it was, I look back at it as a grown up with a lot more experience and understanding and think, how did I not crumble right then and there? Mm. And, and I really think it's that unexplainable thing 
reconciled to God's grace, that thing that we don't understand until we need it. And then when when we do need it most, when we're experiencing the most, we still don't recognize it because there's just, there's just something about God's grace that carries us. And I think that's what happened in my life. Mm. Our first ministry was in a little country town up in Illinois, um, really isolated from the area around it. And um, my first two funerals were both um, blind people. Um, was a couple, Dave and Charlene Kugler, that had both lost their sight as a, as adults from diabetes and actually met in blind school together. Mm. And um, Dave died first, and we flew back from vacation to do his funeral and, you know, met with met with Charlene and planned everything and what passage would he have wanted me to share and all of that. And then, I mean, we were close to him before, but once Dave died, we would pick her up for church every week. And um, somebody had told her, you know, she goes, what, what does Pastor Phil look like? And somebody <laughs> told her, he's like Clark Kent, only bigger. Um, which I, which just paints a, a picture. You can probably still see that memory in, yes, in, yes, in your yes. mind. And I used to love to mess with her. You know, she'd have on a Navy skirt and a, and a red blouse. And, and I'd go that, that red blouse and that orange skirt are great together. She's like, Clark, those colors don't match. I have a system in my closet, but, but it was, it was just so unique that because she had had sight, for a long time, she mm-hmm. still in her mind still saw colors. And I, yeah. I always wondered, I'm not even sure I ever was non-awkward enough to ask her this question, but I want to, I want to ask you, which do you think is harder um, to okay. be born with no sight? And that's just the way the game is played or to have it, then, then lose it. Um, can you articulate your opinion on that? Well, you know, I only have my my perspective that I can speak to, but I think either one is a loss. Maybe one is realized in a different way than the other, but I, when you were saying that, I thought immediately of, um, there's a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and she said, uh, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. And I kind of think that's where I would land, that, even though I have to navigate the loss and grieve the loss, I'm still so grateful for everything I have seen because that was a gift. And then in some ways it's a gift that is continuing to give because I have some visual memories of color. I have visual understanding. I have a spatial understanding in my brain, you know, Mm -hmm. from being able to see. So I guess either one represents loss, but I know for me, I am, I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to see. Um, and so, you know, yeah. it, it's hard for me to say. I wonder what would be interesting is what someone born blind would say. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. maybe I experienced a different loss and they just experience a different longing. Who knows? Yeah. I know a lot of times with people with different kinds of challenges, God, God compensates by giving them either heightened awareness through different senses um, did he, I mean, what did he do to compensate for the the loss of really being able to draw and see friends' faces and exaggerate features? Uh, is mm-hmm. that 
is that when your interest in music, did it really take off then? Or had that been going yeah. on previously? Well, I had a, I had a very on again, off again relationship with music. <laughs> I was one of those kids who would beg my mother to let me take piano lessons, you know, and then six months later, I beg her to let me quit. And so I really was not a very proficient uh, musician. In fact, anyone of us listening right now who knows anything about music, you will appreciate how bad I was when I tell you this. I could play anything out of the key of C, and that was about it, and only with my right hand. I would just kind of make up my left hand. I was just not a good pianist. But that particular day when I was coming home from the eye hospital, um, it was just quiet in the car as you can imagine you know devastating news that none of us expected and I remember looking at my daddy's I could see the back of his head and I could see his knuckles on his steering wheel as he was taking us home and I remember looking at my mom I could only see the back of her head too of course imagining now as a mother of course I understood her silence I mean she's praying Lord let it be me instead you know that heartbreak and I was, of course, silent, just processing how dark my future was becoming. And we got home finally. And no one had said a thing. And I went straight to our old upright piano that sat in our living room. And I sat down and I began to play. And, and the silence from that ride home was broken on that day as I began to play a song that I had never played before. Because quite honestly, it was written in E flat. And that was too difficult to key for me to play from in my little hymnal. And I began to play that, that that day, though, in a way I had never played before. And I understood what I was doing on the piano in a way that I had never understood before. And I am just convinced that God, in all of his mercy, had allowed a door to close at that eye hospital that day. But he was opening another one right there on that piano bench allowing me to play by ear. And I do look back and think, wow, that really was a miracle. I had never been able to do anything like that before. But I think the greater miracle is not uh, that I played the piano, but it was the song that I played that day. What was it was it? what that song represented. It was that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Mm. You know, that reality that uh, it isn't always well with our circumstances. But because of Jesus, it can be well with our soul. I probably couldn't have articulated that very clearly that day, but there was something within my soul, something within my spirit that understood that it may never be well with my circumstances, but God is making it well with my soul. And he did. And so music was one of the ways he did that. Phil. So yeah, I just began to play by ear. I began to write songs. People began to invite me to come sing and share songs. And yeah, the Lord just opened up a, a ministry I would have never in a million years thought of. Mm, mm. I mean, I've heard that versions of that story from so many people all around the world. Yours is probably one of the more dramatic ones, but you know, that is what God is in the business of doing is, is returning what's been stolen from us. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't your personal sin that caused your blindness. It wasn't, you know, a, a slap down from God, but all sickness, all death, ultimately comes from the fact that we're in a fallen, sinful world that has all sorts of consequences that we convince ourselves is just part of living in the normal yuck of life. 
But God mm-hmm. is a God of restoration and begins. Someday he'll recreate all this, not just mm-hmm. restore it to what it was, but recreate it. And, you know, looking at your life from the outside, you are just kind of this, this parable of what God is doing with all of creation. And that's a, that's beautiful what you're sharing. So you had, you had so many other fears. You had relationship fears. Um, I mean, you and Phil have been together, Dr. Phil, excuse me, have been together for a long time now. Um, how did that relationship start and how did God give you that gift when you probably, like you said, you didn't think that was ever going to happen? No, no, never. Well, when I was a senior in high school, I just had this insatiable thirst for independence because, you know, everything was felt slowly being stripped away. And so I learned to walk with a white cane. I prepared to go to college. I was, I was going to be a student at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, Florida. That was about an hour and a half north of my home. Figured it's close enough to be close, far enough to be far. And so I will never forget, I was supposed to be begin freshman orientation on August 15th. Well, on August 14th, I thought that was the worst idea I had ever had in my life. And I remember <laughs> just crying and telling my mom, I can't do this. Nobody, nobody knows me. I don't know anybody who's going to help me. How am I going to know what food's on my plate? How will I know it's safe to cross the street? I mean, you can imagine the fear, but my mother gave me the greatest gift, I think, by saying, you know, you made a commitment and you need to follow through. But if you can't do it after 14 days, we'll come pick you up. So I had made this decision in my mind. I'm going to meet contractual obligations. Yeah, how I'm bad going can to, it be? Two weeks right, and I'm I out of here. Anything. Exactly. Well, within the first two weeks, I met this young man in the cafeteria line named Philip Rothschild. And, oh, my goodness. So I couldn't see him, of course. But it still was love at first sight. <laughs> he just had this um, beautiful personality. And I, I will tell you this. We went to Christian college. Now, you know how this goes, Bill. In, in Christian colleges, you know, you do these side hugs, right? <laughs> and so after a, a few uh, days of knowing Phil and ran into him somewhere, and he kind of gave me this little side hug. And I thought, hmm. I kind of like my brother in Christ's shoulders here. I mean, this is a, this is a <laughs> my brother in good Christ. Looking, wow. Yes, I was like, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I called my mother within the first 14 days, and I'm like, Mom, I met this guy named Philip Rothschild. Please don't ever make me come home from college again. Yay. So that's how we met, and we started dating a little bit after and dated on and off throughout the, my college years, dated other people too, but then my senior year, uh, we dated and married after. And just he says all the time, that he was attracted to me. He knew that I couldn't see, so he knew he had a chance. <laughs> so he pursued me. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think I'm the lucky one in this thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. And so, you know, your ministry just continues to grow and grow and grow. I know you've written a lot of books since then, but um, your book, Invisible, about, you know, how you feel is not who you are. That, that's the one specifically that, I mean, you may have targeted that for women, but those issues of identity are every bit as big a deal for guys. Um, I, I'm not telling you God's will, but if you ever wanted a quick project to, to rewrite that, I don't even think you need to change the title and 
put a few guy mm-hmm. illustrations in there, it would have a deep impact on a lot of wow. men as, as it did yeah. on me. So thank you very much for that. A- another, mm-hmm. another door God has opened for you is, is, um, conferences, fresh grounded faith. Um, tell us about some of your conference speaking and what is, what is on your heart? I know whenever I speak to a group, I have, I'm not good at everything, right? And there's a mm-hmm. kind of a particular niche of teaching and of just like, okay, God, use me to do this. When you step in front of a, a big group of folks to speak to them, what's the typical thing that you're going, okay, God, you open this door, I'll go through it. God, please use me to do this. What's the this? Well, my goal is to always, I, I believe God wired me to uh, provide practical encouragement grounded by biblical truth to help. And, and in my case, it's usually women really live on what I call the I can life, which is based on Philippians 4.13. This life that recognizes that we can do anything God calls us to do. We can be whoever he calls us to be because of his power in us it's through Christ. So it's, it's taking that message of courage and strength and encouragement and bravery to just be who God's called us to be and do the thing, whatever that thing is that he's called us to do. But I, but I also believe that not only do I want to help women become more biblically literate and comfortable and unintimidate the Bible, but I also want to show them how practical it is and how we can apply it on every day. So that's why very practical encouragement is a part of everything I teach. And so Fresh Grounded Faith, my conferences have been an outgrowth of that. It's also been something intentionally that my husband and I have done in ministry to help esteem and lift up the local church, especially the smaller churches. Yes, you yes, know, yes, The yes. big churches in town, they get all the, all the artists coming in, they get all the attention, but God's work is happening in all the smaller churches too. But the reality is artists and authors can't always go to every church and especially smaller ones just because of stewardship. They need to go to larger venues to reach a greater amount of people. So Fresh Ground is Faith, my goal was that we would esteem these smaller churches by allowing them to partner with a host venue church and bring a kingdom-minded event to a community. So it unites the churches, it lifts up the body of Christ within a community, and then it draws women together from all denominations to come and just worship as one and learn from God's Word. Uh, That's beautiful. You know, um, you mentioned Philippians 4.13, and I can remember when our daughter Emily, that may have been the first verse she memorized, even before John 3.16. She got the first half of it she could do. She'd say, I can do all things. And and then Ellen and I would kind of pause and look at each other, and Emily would smile and go off to do the next thing. And it's like, okay, um, we might want to teach her the second half of that um, because she's going to need that when she gets older. I mean, your, yeah. your message, not only your spoken and written message, but just your, your incarnated message of your life is the overcoming of obstacles and the I can do all things. The same guy who wrote that, Paul, said, without him, I can do nothing. So you got to have the second half of That's the verse right. through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, yeah. certainly in your life, it's so obvious because... Most of us would look at that and go, I, I see no way I would even survive that. How would I even want to live 
let alone go on to achieve great things. But it's it's the through Christ who strengthens me. I know that same verse um, is the heart of your podcast, the 413 podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Tell uh, mine is brand new. I think you're maybe episode number 10 or something. You've been going at 413 for a while. Um, tell our yeah. tell our listeners about that podcast, because I think there's a lot of encouragement waiting for them there. And so we sure want to make that connection for our listeners. Tell us about the 413 podcast. Well, I think it's just now two years old. And by the way, I'll be happy to celebrate with you when this podcast turns a year or two years old. I just, I see great things for you, Phil, in the future with this step in the story. It's a great podcast. Uh, the 413, we just deal with one question a week. And I always frame them so that the answer is yes. So a title would be, uh, can I can I learn to speak truth to my soul? Can I overcome fear with faith? Can I forgive those who have hurt me? And so every question is going to have a biblical yes to it. But I don't just give them the yes, you can. I say, yes, you can. And here's how, according to God's word. And so I call it just, it's just one topic um, with two friends. That's my friend, Casey. I call him my seeing eye guy with zero stress. So I, I want it to always be encouraging and equipping. We only do about 30 minutes, so it's real doable. And I have just been so grateful to the Lord that he's given me this opportunity to grow this 413 family. Um, it's just, it's an encouragement to me to be in his word and to be able to share his word and to have other friends on the podcast too, to share some of their story and how they've learned to live this I can life. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And uh, I hope we, you know, make a pathway for some of our listeners over, over your direction. Maybe the traffic goes both directions too. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. But um, Uh that message, that message is so needed that you're talking about and you just spell it out in such practical terms. Um, You know, as we, as we wrap up this conversation, I don't, I don't always do that, but, but Jennifer, um, how can I pray for you right now? Um, personally and, and also, also in ministry, um, because I would be, I would be so honored to do that. Your life is an inspiration and your reliance on the word of God is what step into the story is all about. You know, it's, it's, it's God ultimately writes our stories and he wrote a surprise crisis in yours, but then how he has woven it together with his story um, and, and you've allowed that, um, man, that's a, that's an inspiration and a pattern to me personally, but how can we pray for you? I would just ask, um, I have learned this year, uh, that I need God to, to, I'm not even sure how to articulate it. I can be more discouraged more easily than I ever have in my life. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm okay with that. If that's part of what walking with him and learning means. But if it's from the enemy, I I ask him to either protect me from the discouragement or to use the discouragement um, to grow me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just where it is. I I don't know what fatigue and what um, the enemy just saying, hey, (laughs) you know, I'm going to mess with you now because there's something good around the corner. And I am praying for that good around the corner, what God wants me to to do next and write next and be next and how I can minister best. Um, but discouragement can be very distracting. Mm-hmm. We just finished a three day 
leadership retreat at Walk Through the Bible, kind of laying out a strategic plan for the the next year and, and a little beyond that. And we started with just talking about how are you doing, our five leaders. And um, let me just tell you, you would have fit right in with that group because what, wow. what you're feeling is is really common right now. And I'm sure no stranger to it. It just it just seems like a lot of your favorite things and my favorite opportunities aren't possible. And I mean, no jet lag, but plenty of Zoom lag right now. And yeah, I yeah. just I just can't wait to be face to face with folks and the the losses through COVID. Um, and then you feel guilty because, well, I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose a loved one. I didn't we didn't even get it yet. We didn't. I shouldn't mm-hmm. feel. And, and then when self-condemnation comes that's even deepens the discouragement. So it's, it's easy mm-hmm. for me to pray for you. Father, thank you for Jennifer. Thank you for this conversation that I pray would be the beginning of a friendship um, for me, for Ellen and me, for our, our ministry and her ministry, but also for our listeners that um, there would be an ongoing connection between them and, and Jennifer's ministry as well. And Lord, um, Thank you for her authenticity as she shared her story, but even more so for just being real about how she's doing right now. And Lord, we know that when we are discouraged, um, it is the Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us and infuses us with courage, often does that through other believers. And I pray that you would do that in her life, that even today, Lord, she would have just some surprising, unexpected touch from you that would feel like a direct answer to the cry of her heart and my prayer for her. And Lord, you tell us in your word that we're most able to comfort others in areas where we've ourselves been comforted. So I pray even this season of discouragement, so many things have been taken away. Jennifer's no stranger to that and can help us navigate it. But Lord, right now, she needs your help to navigate this season. And then we look forward to the way that you love on her, the overflow of that someday. You're going to do really significant things as she shares those stories that are every bit as meaningful as what she shared with us today. So Lord, thank you for her Thank you for her great marriage with Phil and their family and their kids and their ministry. But Lord, you got a daughter right now who just desperately needs not just a side hug from you, Lord, but your (laughs) arms wrapped fully around her to assure her of your embrace and you are pleased with her. It's in the awesome name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Jennifer, thank Thank you so much. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you, Phil. Thank you. We look forward to the next step into the story a couple weeks from now and uh, invite you back as we're going to hear somebody else meet another new friend and hear just how it is that God meets us in the messiness, the complicated lives that we lead, the unexpected turns. And I hope that you'll be here and I hope that you'll also share this story with your friends by inviting them to participate in Step Into the Story with us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. 
We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.